Welcome to episode out of time four, Revenge of the Time. This is the fourth out of time episode that we've done, I think. Revenge of the Time, is that the title? Yes, the reason we're in Revenge of the Time, I'm going to come to that in a minute actually, because we need to set some context. There's a couple of things happening that are extra peculiar. One... No, you don't need to tell the people, Mike. Okay, I won't tell them that we're in the same room (laughs) in an undisclosed location. And... In an effort to throw off the guesses, because people like to try and guess when we record episodes out of time, mm-hmm. right? They'll, they they try and triangulate things. We are recording this episode before episode 90. Right. I don't know why we did it that way. No. We <laughs> set the recordings up. They're just like, all right, we'll record this one then and this one then. I'm not 100% sure why we've done it, and it is posing more difficulty than is necessary because we need to refer to things that we have spoken about on episode 90, which hasn't been recorded yet. Yeah. I think what happened is we set the recording date for episode 90, which is two days from today, Mm -hmm. first, Mm -hmm. and then... Whatever it was, a week later, we realized no, we need to record the episode out of time. We scheduled these no, at the, no, the same day. There is, no, there's no way we scheduled these on the same day. Listen, listen, listen. Later, when we weren't thinking clearly, we, d- we realized, oh, we need an episode right. out of time. What's a free day? Today was the free day. There is, there's no way we did this there's on the no same way. day. <laughs> yep. That can't possibly be, Mike, Do because it's so dumb. have like an event created on date i'm sure they don't i'm okay. sure there's no there's no metadata there's no, there's no way anyone could know computers don't record that kind of information when no. events were created no way but this is where we find ourselves today mm-hmm. so this is why time has its revenge on us okay because we have to guess what's going to happen in the future so we can refer to things that have already been spoken about yes also time has its revenge on us because there are a, f- a couple of things that we would usually talk about on this show well, one main thing, really, which is the new iPhone. Oh, right. Here's the funny thing. <laughs> we are recording both of our episodes in September before the iPhone is announced. Right. So everyone that listens to the show that hates us talking about iPhones can rejoice. Right. There's no you mean no iPhone talk for a month. Because we have nothing. <laughs> You're going to have to wait until October, I guess, to understand right. how we truly feel about our iPhones 11 Pro Max or whatever they're going to be called. Right. I'm so thrown off right now because we only realized this whole scheduling situation minutes ago. Mm-hmm. And if you hadn't said anything to me, I would never have thought about it. And we could have just recorded a totally normal show. And now I feel like my brain has has had some kind of train derailment yeah. of no, but this is what which I episode of recording. I wanted time to have its revenge because I've already worked on the amazing artwork. I've already had the artwork made. Right. So yeah. Artwork's made show has to go up yeah but also time needs to have its revenge and it can only have that on us if we are upset about time yeah yeah so i'm 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 very thrown off and i'm I'm increasingly feeling like we should just be starting episode 90 but we can't because there's there's no preparation for episode 90 i will ask you are you going to buy a new iphone no matter what it is or are you gonna wait and see like i'm just intrigued because i will do it right like i will just buy it because that's who i am but like, are you in that mindset right now? My rule is better camera, 
buy a phone. Yeah. Okay. If they if they make they the camera better, I'm buying it. Because new one, everybody which knows. To do every everybody year. knows now that they have released an iPhone with three cameras on it. Mm-hmm. Even I've even I've heard that. Even yes. yeah, and for all we know, I've recorded that multiple times and have just edited in the right version. Right. As per the released information. <laughs> yes, I too am looking forward to the four camera iPhone. Five cameras iPhone. <laughs> six camera iPhone. Yes. The iPhone 11 S2. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know, I know, see, I already know I'm, I'm unhappy with the name, even though I never heard it. Uh, also, the uh, I will be back from Memphis again, mm-hmm. uh, and we will have completed our St. Jude live stream, yeah. our six-hour live stream, which went well, I'm assuming. Of course, the, the live stream went well went fantastic many funds were raised yes for thank an you for all the cause. funds thank uh, you and it really is an excellent cause and you can still give money you can still do- donate to saint jude children's cancer research hospital if you go to saint jude.org slash cortex you can do that any donation at all is incredibly valued it's going to an incredible organization that helps make children's lives better who are dealing with an absolutely terrible thing so thank you so much to every Cortexan that has given any money at all to St. Jude. Um, September is still Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, so please go ahead and donate any money you can uh, to help out this wonderful cause. That's stjude.org slash Cortex. And the other thing is, so we should know now how well the second printing of Theme System Journal has sold. Yeah, so this this feels this feels dangerous here. This is because... so dangerous. So as we are recording right, right now, mm-hmm. I know two things. Okay. I know that the notebooks are in America and have cleared customs. I know that. Okay. I also know that the delivery date is scheduled for the 6th of September, which is some days ahead of now. Right. Not many. I also know that I was able to complete the project of getting the themesystem.com up and running. Mm-hmm. So the instructions in their current initial form live online for people Looks buying. Beautiful. Thank you. Uh, for people buying the journal that they can do that. So we will know now, in theory, how well they have sold. Right. Or they fell off a truck somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and they never made it. Yeah. I, I have to say, you're very confident that, that we're actually at the final line here for yeah for the journals. Like, falling off a truck, total possibility. Combust into confetti. Right. Yeah. They're, they're, in, they're in, they've cleared customs. Yep. So they're at a dock they somewhere. Are, they are currently, or the last I heard... They, or a couple of days ago, they were at a facility in JFK, okay, ready to be put on a truck. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have had to contest with Labor Day. Mm-hmm. It's a national holiday in America. Labor Daber. This is one of those things where, like, you say a thing, and I don't know if it's a real thing that Americans do, and I don't want to touch it. Because yeah. I know you like to make fun. No. What is Labor Daber? Labor Daber is just, it's like... You're taking it easy for Labor Day, right? So you're going to have, you know, it's Labor Daber. Oh, I hate you so much. Uh, so, thank you if you bought one. Mm-hmm. There were many people on a mail, a lot of people joined that mailing list. 
So there is a possibility that a lot of them were sold. Mm-hmm. We'll know if it's sold out immediately, which as of right now, I don't think will have happened. My best case scenario right now is that we sell half of the amount that we ordered, uh, like within the first two days. Okay. Now, Mike, mm-hmm. do you want to give people a number? We started this thing. We're going to talk about the business. Mm-hmm. We haven't actually said how many notebooks are sitting in JFK. So (laughs) the second print is 2,000, which means the initial order was 200. Mm -hmm. The 200 number is very small, Mm -hmm. and I feel like we were very clear about it being very small. Mm -hmm. I don't know if 200, honestly, at this point is more or less than what most people thought. But, like, that is why it sold out so incredibly quickly because there were only 200 of them. Mm-hmm. But, like, I maintain even now with the amount that we have ordered again that that was still a risk because, I mean, there are like t shirts that I have sold for other shows which haven't sold that amount, mm-hmm. right? Which I thought have been really great designs. Or we have sold t shirts, you know, that we thought were really funny ideas that got nowhere near the level that we thought it would, right? Like, where we've been in, like, the low hundreds. So you never know. And this felt like such a, um, an outside bet to me of what people might actually want. Like, I was confident in it. We're both confident in it. But it was one of those things where it's like, we've never done anything like this before. Mm-hmm. I don't listen to any podcast that's done something like this before. Like, I'm sure that they exist, but where it's like, oh, we're going to try and make this completely different thing yeah. we've never spoken about here it is there there isn't a good model no. to look at Mm-mm. for this quality journal being sold on a podcast like what is the there that, wasn't that the, the yeah. only thing that's related to the podcast branding is just what's on the front everything else inside yes. is completely different yes we talk about yearly themes and that's where it all came from but like if we made a which i still do want to make at some point a blank journal, mm-hmm. like a blank notebook with the Cortex logo on it, I would have no problem like ordering 500 of those like immediately. We're like, I will sell those because people will use a notebook for whatever they want to use a notebook for. I'm going to disagree with you there. Okay. I, and, and this is based on nothing. Mm-hmm. But my gut says for starting this stuff out, the specific product is the clearer sale. That is, I 100% understand where you're coming from. But I feel like even if we wouldn't sell 500 as quickly as we sold the 200, but I'm confident we would eventually sell all of them. I was not confident we would eventually sell all of the theme system journal. It was like either we sell them pretty quickly or they will fizzle out and we'll end up with 100 of them that we'll just have to send to me and I'll use them forevermore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like a blank notebook, there's no shelf life on it. Like it will just take whatever it takes until it gets sold. Mm. But I understand your point of view. I also think I would be more comfortable ordering larger amounts of a blank book because I would have no personal feelings tied up in its success or failure like right. I did with the theme system. Yes. Right? Whereas like we created this thing that we believe works. If people don't buy it, they're not even interested in trying it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think I'll also share... So people may be surprised to be like, why in my mind is 1,000 a best-case scenario? Because mm-hmm. isn't best-case scenario to just sell them all immediately within two hours? Mm-hmm. For me, it's not, because what I want 
to create with this is a sustainable business that has some longevity to it. Mm-hmm. That's what I want. It's what we both want Cortex brand to be. And we want for the time being the theme system to be the core of our company as the products that we sell. If we sell all 2000 of them within a day or two days, all we know at that point is that we are very good at getting people excited about a product. Mm-hmm. What I want to see is we sell a big chunk of them. So we, great, we're able to get people excited about a product or people can see something that they're interested in. But then I want to see people buying them again and again, right? That we have, that we sell the rest of them at a pretty good clip. Mm -hmm. Because if we sell them all immediately, I don't know if people like it. I don't know if people want to use it. All I know is that we have been able to build enough interest, Mm -hmm. which is great. But that doesn't tell me it's sustainable. So then we need to go through this process again and probably order even more and take an even bigger gamble. Yeah. So my my view on this is, and we've we've discussed this over the mm-hmm. years. I never like the one time sales as much as I like the idea of a of a regular sale, mm-hmm. a thing that can sell repeatedly. And that's that's part of the reason that we're doing this. But my my prediction, which feels like going out on a limb because we don't know, I I'm really bullish on this journal, and I think we're going to sell out mm. all two thousand in a very short period of time, mm-hmm. which is going to put us exactly back in the situation of having like here here's Mike. This is what we're doing. Okay, here's a metaphor to calm your mind. We've gone into a casino, and we've taken a dollar, mm-hmm. and we've we've put it on red forty two. I don't know if it's for, I don't know if it goes up to forty two. I don't know how high. Like, I picked matter. a number that's too high. In red, Cortex <laughs> Casino, it goes to forty two. Yeah, in Cortex Casino, you put it on blue forty two. Right, so it, it went on <laughs> yeah. blue forty two, and we won. Uh huh. It was great. That was the first sale of the journal. He said, "Well, let's 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 let it ride on blue forty two again." And I, I like, and I think it's going to sell out, and we won't have the answer to your question mm-hmm. about regular sales in the future. And it will also create for us the problem of again total uncertainty of do you let it all ride on blue forty two and order even more? But that's that is my prediction. I think that's what's going to happen. Here's the problem of selling out quickly again. I need to make an order for the new year. Yes. Listeners, if there's one thing the manufacturing process does not lack, it is long lead times. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what this has made me think of. It's made me think of the time when I was debating leaving my job as a teacher. Mm-hmm. And because of the way the teaching schedule works, I had to let them know in April if I was not coming back yep. next September. Yep. yep. That's what. That's what this... Totally feels well, if you like. think about it. School is just like the manufacturing of adults, right? Yes, it it's is the, the same thing. I yes, think it is. That is exactly that is exactly correct. Raw, like, materi- raw materials, yeah. <laughs> raw materials go in one end. A refinement and process begins. Cogs come out the other end. Yeah, that's how that works. That's school. We're getting, we're getting off on a tangent here, but <laughs> but yeah, there's there's these long lead times, and so yes, I I expect we're going. Yeah. I know. 
listen, you can't. My, Mike is in front of me, and I'm kind of glad that he's in front of me for this because I cannot. He's genuinely frustrated and sad. No, in this I'm moment. not frustrated. <laughs> I'm concerned because yeah. it's also like if it sells really fast, then I know we will have no stock mm-hmm. leading up to January. Yes, which is also an actual problem. Because then I also can't make any changes Mm -hmm. because I need to put the order in within 24 hours of us putting it on sale if it starts to sell quickly again. Yes, yes. Which is exactly what I think you're going to have to do. Now, I may be too bullish on this. Mm. I may have... I Honestly, I actually really like that we have such different opinions (laughs) because this is like a time capsule. (laughs) Yeah, and and it is also such a... It's an uncomfortable and dangerous feeling thing to be talking about the sale of the product like before it's happened right because in an ideal world what you want to do is you want to be able to just always be like oh it went perfectly exactly the way that i want i right? think <laughs> that this is in in our efforts to try and share more yeah. about the company we're forming which is still very early yes is very early which is why there isn't too much to share really but like there's stuff that we have a Slack. We made a Slack because every business needs one of those. Yeah. So we got one of those. I, I think we were both quite sad pandas the moment we re- we were discussing about how to communicate about uh-huh. a thing, and 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 it was like, oh, the inevitability of Slack was approaching, and and, and it was dawning on both of us at uh-huh. the same time. <laughs> we're going through the arduous task of trying to set up bank accounts, which yes. is just like a whole thing. Yes. But I guess this is a way for us to show more is by making one of us look like a four or both of us yeah one of because, us one of us is going to be wrong 20 and right. then we both look like idiots yes at the very least one of us is wrong both of us could be wrong mm-hmm. <laughs> and i i also find the thing about working with someone else i i do find it interesting the way you sort of flip back and forth about a product mm-hmm. and this this way of like who is the person who is more uncertain has changed over time and who was the person who is more yeah. bullish mm-hmm. about it. And it's just, it's interesting to do right. that over, over the course of a year. Right, because, well, it's more than a year now. Like, originally, <laughs> I brought the idea to you as like, this is a thing that I think we could do. And you were like, hmm, hmm. And then, you know, it's like, yeah, okay, let's give it a go. And then I create a design and show it to you and I'm like, oh, I'm not sure if this is... Mm-hmm. Right, and then it's like, we keep going, like, it just keeps switching off, which is like from one to the other. And I think it... And and I keep I keep pushing you yeah order more mm-hmm. and you may be totally right of no that's a terrible idea but it's it's good to not like to not always have both people on the hype train at the same time yeah and and so like it's I, I just I kind of have always been aware that one of us at any moment is more uncertain than but, the other and I think even it's good something kind of funny in the amount that we ordered because I was I wasn't sure how many to order. And you were like, oh, like order a thousand of them or whatever. And then when I spoke to Tom and Dan at Studio Neat, who help us make this product, and I explained to them how fast they sold and how many people were on the mailing list, because the mm-hmm. mailing list has more than 2,000 people on it. Mm-hmm. They were like, oh, you should not order a thousand. Mm-hmm. You should order 2,000. Mm-hmm. Especially when I said to them, well, I ideally want to have enough in to last me for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, definitely don't order a thousand and they were trying to like they were maybe suggesting even more and i was like i can't mm-hmm. i can't do this it's just too many it's right. too much of a risk right or as i'm the devil on your shoulder whispering like 
Tom and Dan, they're smart guys. They know. <laughs> but, well, but the thing is, is like so. Order twenty thousand, Mike. Our, our wonderful friends at Cotton Bureau we could go bankrupt so fast to fulfill these things. Forty boxes are arriving uh-huh. with them, and I'm like. I don't want them to have 35 laying around for a while. Yes. So, like, you know, I'm I'm also, like, they're letting us take this gamble as well. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there are so many people involved in this now. I don't want to be, like, this huge burden on everybody. Right. Of, like, oops, well, we sold five. Yeah. <laughs> so... The Cortex Journal, it involves a lot of people now. Yes. And it's it's not it's not just a it's not just a tiny venture. It's like actual boxes sitting in a oh. warehouse, possible burden on a company that you have a relationship with if it all goes wrong. Yeah, it's it again, it's it, I've said it many times, but the the whole the whole manufacturing process just has so much more involved in it than you than you ever think, no matter how simple the product is mm-hmm. more more people more delays unexpected world events like all sorts of things are involved in in this in a way that you just you just never expect yep i'm very confident mike sold uh. <laughs> blue 42 let's put it all, let's put it all down again <laughs> so I, well i guess if i'm right Please go to cortexmerch.com and buy more. Right. Yes. If you're right, go there and put and, your email address and, and put in. sign up. And our hope is we will have more for sale yeah. around the holidays ish. Yeah. And if for, we're for years, and if we're both wrong and we only sold twenty, please also consider checking out the like. The, basically, there's one clear action you should do, which is go to cortexmerch.com Cortex because there will at least be t-shirts there to commiserate us with if you don't want the notebook and feel bad for us because they're in stock forever. The t-shirts are great. They're always great. This episode of Cortex is brought to you by our friends at Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that makes expertly designed products to help you get your best rest one night at a time. Casper products are cleverly designed to mimic human curves with engineering to soothe and support your natural geometry so you'll have all the right support in all the right places. Casper offers a range of mattresses, the original, the Wave, the Essential, and the Hybrid. And they also offer other sleep-related products like pillows and sheets, so you can get an overall better sleeping experience. And it's all affordable because Casper cuts out the middleman, selling directly to you. They have over 20,000 reviews online of an average rating of 4.8 stars, Casper is very quickly becoming the internet's favorite mattress. And you can be sure of your purchase of Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep on it trial. They'll deliver direct to your door, and if for any reason you do not love it, Casper has a hassle-free return policy. I have found myself unexpectedly in Chicago, and sleeping in hotel beds for a bunch of time makes me feel like I really could do with the support of that Casper mattress. Casper mattresses are super comfortable. They are so easy as well to get into your home because they come in these wonderful boxes that can be taken upstairs. And if you live in an apartment like me, that is very, very useful indeed. You can get $100 towards select mattresses by going to casper.com slash cortex and using the code cortex at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. That's casper.com slash cortex and the offer code cortex for $100 towards select mattresses. Our thanks to Casper for their support of this show and Relay FM. So we watched a movie for Cortex Movie Club. Mm-hmm. Euro Dreams of Sushi. Is it Euro or Hero? No, no, no. Hero Dreams of Sushi? Jiro. Jiro? 
In my head, it's Jiro with a J. I think it's Hero. You think, think it's, it's Hero? A soft J. Good job. We're off to a great, great start here. Oh gosh! No, um, look, How I'm going to call him Jiro. No, it doesn't matter, Mike, because I know Jiro dreams of sushi. If even if even if it says Hero, I'm just going to say Jiro. Ah, I'm right. That is totally a J. Okay. The All Japanese right. robot lady Jiro. agrees with me. Jiro. Okay. Well, I've attempted to. Uh, we've attempted every effort, and then we consulted YouTube, so it's Jiro. Um, Jiro dreams of sushi is a documentary from 2011 about a man who has a restaurant in Japan, which looks like it is in a mall. Or something, or in some kind of business center. It's like in a really weird. Did you even location. watch this documentary? Yes, you, I you, watched you, the documentary. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> You're selling. Okay, listen. Let me let me let me pitch Jiro's restaurant to you, listener. It is in a subway station. Subway station. Okay, maybe right. I was making a note at that point. Yeah, you, I think you were paying attention. Although, to be fair, I have seen this documentary multiple times. One time. So this is your this is your first, first viewing. time. Okay. Yes. I've seen this multiple times. Okay. I was actually trying to remember what this must be. And this has to be at least my fourth or maybe fifth viewing of this. Okay. But the restaurant is in a subway station in Tokyo. So you, you descend down the stairs. I thought Tokyo, but I didn't want to say Tokyo in case I misremembered. And it's like everyone thinking everything in England happens in London. But it does. So let's oh just be honest God. about that. I did not say that. Remember, Gray isn't on the internet. He doesn't read the email. So just, I don't know, put it in the Reddit or something or keep it to yourself. It's nothing to do with me. I well, apologize. Well, look, this is an episode out of time. By the time it goes up, it I may be back on the internet, <laughs> but we can't discuss that now because it may or may not have happened. So it's in it, and it's in this subway station in mm-hmm. Tokyo. I'm just going to say that very confidently, even though now you've, you've worn away at the foundation of my confidence slightly. You, you go down the stairs. The restaurant has no bathroom inside the restaurant. You have it's to outside. use the subway bathrooms. There are 10 seats. A meal may be as short as 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. You have to book one month in advance. At least. Prices start at $300. 30,000 yen. Yeah. I just wanted to give it. (laughs) Look, the, the, the problem with yen is it's always... It's a million yen, and, and you're, bu- you're buying and like a the, toothpick. The, one of the issues of that is, okay, so it's a large amount of money, but it could be more expensive depending on the type of fish they have that day. Yes. You have absolutely no control over this. Yes, that is the minimum amount mm-hmm. that it is going to be. You can't get appetizers. There's nothing else. You're going to sit down. They're going to give you 20 sushi to eat. Around yeah. 20 sushi. Around 20 differ. sushi. That's it. And it is a three-star... Michelin restaurants. Yes. and Which is the highest you can achieve. Yes. Michelin, the... Uh, oh, Michelin, I'm sorry. I this can't help three, but be fancy. Three-star Michelin. Which is, which is, in case you don't know, the tire company. Yes, they are the same organization. You just love that fact. Uh, it's the best. Um, they rate a three-Michelin-star restaurant as a restaurant mm. that is good enough that you would travel to the country to eat there. Yeah, that is the classification, which I love that classification. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about that, right? Like, I'm sure it's amazing, but what is the rating, right? Well, like, somebody who lives in Australia would have a very different 
like expense to somebody who lives in Canada to get to this restaurant. But nevertheless, I get what they're trying to say, right? Yeah. Like, sure. It is like, you know, as life-changing a meal as you could have. Yeah, it's worth planning a trip around yes. that restaurant. Yeah. That is the central thing you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And I have known about this documentary for a while, but I'd never seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am very aware of the fact that this restaurant is considered to be like that, right? Like people will plan it. And even in even in the documentary, like it is considered in the same way it is considered now, it is just more popular now because of the documentary. There is a reference to Jiro wanting to set a seating plan to make sure that he gives the best experience to the people that booked their meal one year before. Mm-hmm. So people, if you are booking a restaurant in a year in advance, you're making a plan for it. And even in the, the, the documentary, there is somebody who arrives who doesn't seem to have a reservation, but has traveled for the restaurant, which is very confusing. I, I feel like they could have done their research, but they didn't, and they're probably not going to get what they want now. But people travel to this place. Mm-hmm. I may, I'll ask you now. We, maybe we can answer it later. Would you go there? I can say maybe. I think I'm a maybe too. Uh-huh. If I was in Tokyo, which I do desperately want to do one day, I would want to try it because it seems so incredible. I don't like fish enough. Yeah, so this is this is my problem as well is it's a it is a it's a real sushi restaurant. Mm-hmm. It, it a lot of like very lightly cooked fish. Mm, the lightest of cooked. Yes. The, the the kind of cooking where you where you look at it for a few moments and and the heat from yep, your eyes so warms it up. <laughs> and it's it's interesting that you ask because you know I am not the most adventurous of eaters, by which I mean I'm not adventurous at mm-hmm, all. Mm-hmm. I particularly don't like fish, even even under the best of circumstances. I have a hard yeah. time with fish and seafood. I am getting better. Yeah, but I am still not great. I used to be a very picky eater. I have grown up over the last few years, and yeah, you have really changed on that a lot. My palate a lot. And I'm more willing to try new food. I have tried more seafood in the last couple of years. Just more fish, mm-hmm. really, in the last couple of years than I've maybe eaten in the 10 years before. I'm trying... Like, I've been to nice restaurants. I've been lucky to experience some, like, tasting menu type things. And I've eaten lots of fish in those because they all seem to be all fish all the time. And I've found that, like, in a nice... In a very good restaurant, I can eat fish that I would never normally eat and can enjoy it because it's prepared well. Mm-hmm. Which makes me think that's where the maybe comes in, right? Where it's yes. like, this is the, probably the best sushi in the world, or is at least considered by many to be. Mm-hmm. So I have the best chance of enjoying it. But it also might mean it is for sushi lovers only. Yeah, th- th- this is this is the question of, of connoisseurship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the, o- the only thing... Like the only thing I have in my life to really compare this to is steak. Of of learning to like appreciate what a nice steak I agree. is. Yes, and I had a friend who sort of walked me through that in a jet. Like here, come down this path of why people really like steak. And I am totally aware that there there are ways steak that is prepared now that I really like that I would have been completely revolted the by the had it started started there. Any pinkness. Yeah. Right. I, I could not have done that like four or five years ago. Yeah. But now I am like, I can accept, like I, I enjoy it now. Mm-hmm. Right. But I would not, not have before. 
Yeah. So so I I and I do think about this every time I watch the documentary. Uh-huh. And I, and I'm they documentary is beautifully shot oh as, it's so stunning as, as you can imagine a documentary about sushi sushi is a good looking food yeah and at an amazing it's presented very well and so they have these little black squares at the restaurant that the sushi chef is putting the sushi down on and of course sushi exists on this little mound of white rice and then there's a bit of color on the top for the fish on this black plate it's beautifully filmed it's gorgeous like you've never seen it look more beautiful and it, but every time I'm always looking very closely at that fish, and it's like, boy, that's barely cooked, right? Yeah, like, that it's like, is... oh, and that's a big piece of fish, right? Yeah, there. yeah, and because they are like, you do them in one mouthful, mm-hmm. but they are a mouthful. Yes, right. Like you, like they show a couple of shots of like people actually eating it, mm-hmm. and you can see like that is you have no space anymore. That your mouth is full of that fish. Yeah, it's a thing where it is custom designed to fit in your mouth. And you're, you're yes. eating it all at once. That's something he says, right? That like he kind of sizes people up and then makes portions depending mm-hmm. on them, yeah. which is kind of wild. And I love when he... So this is like at the end, towards the end of the movie, they're like basically show an entire service. Mm-hmm. And the a lot of the, the movie is focused around a food writer who has been there multiple times, who says like, you cannot have a funny experience there. And he is still nervous every time he goes there, even though he knows Jiro now. Mm-hmm. But like, it is because it is such an intense thing and the food is so incredible. This person's such a master at what they do that you're like intimidated by that. But he'll say that Jiro is left-handed. So it makes, he says that he is like, he watches out for this. If somebody picks the fish up with their left hand, he places it on the plate differently. Mm-hmm. It's like he'll swap the order around. It's just like... Man. Yeah, it, and this is this is why the restaurant has this just incredible reputation, and and the thing the thing that like that I can never quite decide about, and why I'm a very solid maybe, is is I feel like really good restaurants. There's a, there's like a le- there's like a level of fake good restaurant, which is very fancy food, which I feel like is almost always disgusting. Where it's mm-hmm. like. You're going a notch up to a fancy place and it's the food itself is fancy. And then you click two notches up and suddenly you get restaurants where it's very simple dishes. And that kind of thing is like, oh, this is amazing. Like I've yeah, That's I've, where it's always can yeah. be the best, right? Like here, right? He is doing it in the most simple, most classic way. Yes. But it is done with the best ingredients, with the, with the time on a tradition. Yeah. And so that is why I wonder. Because I look at those little sushi pieces and go, there is almost a meal that couldn't be simpler than this it is rice with a little sliver of fish on top of it and so that's why i wonder like oh maybe maybe i could go there and enjoy the experience maybe i couldn't maybe i could just ask for 20 of the egg ones <laughs> yes well and then the, the other thing that i do wonder about is the problem is the problem is if you go to this restaurant oh. and, you're, and you're not having a good time the sushi is being produced by jiro most of the time he stand he stands there he gets the rice the fish goes on top. He's, he shapes it like a little bird in his hand. Mm-hmm. And then he places it on the black dish in front of you. You are to immediately pick it up, put it in your mouth. And he stands there and looks at you <laughs> as you're eating it. This is why it's not fun. And if... See, this is the thing. <laughs> let's, let's put aside... I mean, we have to put aside for the moment the fact that $300 per person is an insane amount of money to spend on any amount of food. Especially... Right? 12 sushis. Yes. It is wild. You're there for 15 minutes. You get maybe 15 to 20 pieces of fish. It costs you at least $300. Thank you very much, right? Like, that is a bonkers thing. Uh. 
But you can see how it gets that way if only 10 people can be there at a time, right? This mm-hmm. is a supply-demand type of thing, right? That's how it is that amount of money. But if you're spending that amount of money, you're in that environment where the, at the time of recording, this man is 93 years know, old. And for the best that we could work out, still doing it. Yes. He is standing in front of you, having done this stuff for like 70 years. Yes. He is the best in the world. And he is watching you eat it. <laughs> I know. You a- better enjoy that piece of fish, boy. No, but it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not you better enjoy it. I think my, my feeling would be, I do not measure up to this experience. Yeah, I'm not good enough. Right, right yeah. like uh, my, my, my palate is, is the palate mm-hmm. of a dog mm-hmm. before you. And I can't, I can't appreciate this, this yep. thing. And, and so that, that, that is, that's the additional level of discomfort. And if I went there... And the sushi was put in front of me, and I put it in my mouth, and did not have a good time. It 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 would just feel like total failure, failure of not measuring up. And I, I would I would have to just like bow my head and apologize and leave in great shame. You couldn't bow enough. <laughs> no, <laughs> right? Especially like I mean, because it's shown in this movie a lot, right? Like, which is a thing that I think most people are aware of, like the. Emphasis on respect in Japanese culture. Mm-hmm. How could you do that to that man? <laughs> right? How could you go there? And I'm sure it's happened a lot now because of the movie, right? Like in the last 10 years or whatever, I'm sure it has happened a lot that Westerners are going to this restaurant like me and you. Yeah. Hi! <laughs> who have not experienced sushi yeah. in any authentic yeah. or even half decent form i was gonna say we're, we're eating sushi like they briefly mention at the end of the documentary off of one of those little assembly lines i love the disdain they have for the, you know you can buy <laughs> conveyor belt sushi now like i thought i really enjoyed that or like i eat vegetarian sushi and really enjoy it mm-hmm. because i i i really love that like avocado and cucumber and like i think it's fantastic it's wonderful yeah because i love all the flavors in japanese cooking but i have yet so like we we cook a lot of like or you know we japanese inspired food at home because we really enjoy the flavors but i've yet to really grasp fish Mm -hmm. and i have tried some sushi i have tried sashimi which is basically just the fish Mm -hmm. in a lot of instances and like i'm coming around to it and like in a place where you know if like Adina's like oh this is good then I'll try it right because then it's like all right so this is maybe some this is like a a best case scenario type thing like when we honeymooned in Hawaii Hawaii is very good for for sushi and stuff too and she had she was trying everything she could there and if she really liked it I was like all right so give me a piece of the tuna and it's like all right like I can see what people enjoy about this I'm coming around to it but I just I feel like I'd break the man's heart. Like yeah. I just couldn't do it to him. And it would also be the feeling of robbing the experience from, from someone, someone else. Yes, who really wanted it and couldn't ha- be there that day. Yeah, and it's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just a pleb mm-hmm. here, and this seat should be given to someone else. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I have dishonored you and myself in this scenario. Yeah. And and you're 93. Who knows how many how many settings are left? Oh God! <laughs> All right, <laughs> it's it's like. <laughs> I'm sure I've mentioned it before, but my dad is always referencing how many books he has left to read. And I'm like, please don't. He does the calculation of average lifespan and how many books he reads in a month. And every once in a while, he's like, oh, this many books. I'm like, please, dad, don't. 
like it's too it's too much and i just look I look at jiro and i think dude you are way past the number of meals of sushi that yep. civilization could have gotten out of you every one of them is a is a precious gift and i would not want to i would not want to ruin that this episode is also brought to you by Hover, one of Cortex's longest-running sponsors. One of the reasons for this is because we love Hover. They're a wonderful technology company, and they're also wonderful for helping with entrepreneurship, which this show is all about, because your business, your project, it starts with a wonderful, awesome domain name. And Hover has over 300 domain name extensions that you can choose from. So no matter what it is you want to build... There is a domain name waiting for it. And they have excellent technical support to answer any questions you may have. Hover are dedicated to helping you get your stuff online without upselling you. They have free who is privacy, so bad guys aren't getting your information. They have a clean user interface, which is super easy to manage and integrate with other services. They have monthly sales on popular top-level domains. It is so easy to see why Hover is the popular choice for people getting started with their businesses. When I was thinking about starting the theme system, when we had the idea for the theme system, we registered domain names immediately. So I have just launched the theme system.com, which is a domain name that I bought on Hover. I just got my yearly renewal notice, which means I've owned that domain for a year, even though the website has only existed for a few weeks. Because look, when you have an idea for a project, when you know you want to get something online, it starts with that great domain name. And that is why you need to go to Hover. Buy your domain and start using it today. Go to hover.com slash cortex and get a 10% discount on all new purchases. That is hover.com slash cortex to get that 10% discount on all new purchases. Make a name for yourself with Hover. A thanks to Hover for their support of this show and Relay FM. So now we have thoroughly exhausted this hypothetical. Mm-hmm. I think the reason that we're probably both like would even consider this is because it is difficult to watch this movie and not have absolutely profound respect for all of the people involved in what it takes to to make and craft these meals Mm. the work that they put in is unbelievable and it was kind of fascinating to watch it so i actually want to read a quote like this is how the movie kind of begins and this is jiro kind of i think he's like talking about his philosophy to work And he says, once you decide your occupation, you must immerse yourself in work. You must fall in love with your work. Never complain about your job. You must dedicate your life to mastering your skill. That's the key to success and is the key to being regarded honorably. That's very powerful. I don't think I think about work like that. Yeah, if we couldn't complain about work, many podcasts would not exist. Yes, especially this one. But like, it's quite an outlook. Mm -hmm. And when you hear that and you hear about everything that has happened in his life and what seemed like a very difficult childhood that he had, and you see this individual, it's like, wow, like that is, that is quite a body of work, like Mm -hmm. a life's work that you have created at this point to be able to feel that way and to have achieved that much is kind of incredible, right? Yeah, it, it's why... Um, and I, I, I saw this documentary first years ago, and I can, I can really recommend it to absolutely everyone because there's, there's, something in, there's something in here for all people watching it. And like the, the thing that I think about every time that relates to what you said about that quote is... Jiro is is so singular 
and is so clearly focused on his work and performs at this very top level and is obviously a man who, while he has high standards and severe looks at times, like enjoys the thing that he does and and just like has this as a true and a, like the word calling falls so dramatically short in, in even trying to describe this. But I also always watch this documentary and think I would never want to be Jiro. Like people watch this documentary sometimes and they're looking for lessons out of it. And I think it is it is it is much more just this this tale of a singular person. Mm hmm. And that when you get to extremely high levels of dedication or talent where you're talking about the best few people in the world at something, I, I, I'm, I actually think that the, the whole idea of learning a lesson from the person becomes meaningless. Like that they're, they're just so singular. They are that yeah. person. And... I find it fascinating to hear him talk about his work, like that quote that, that you said. It's very interesting to hear him say that this is how he thinks about it. But I'm, I'm not, I don't think that that's applicable generally to people. No. Right? Where, but like I see people think, oh, that's, that's great. I should, I should apply that in my work. And, and this is, that, that's one of the things I, I come back to this documentary. It's like, Jiro is an amazing person. I would never want to be him. I, I don't think I'd even want to think about work in the same way that he does, because it's also clear that the way you achieve such a pinnacle of success is having total focus on this thing. And he's very, very open about he wasn't there for his children. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have any home life really to speak of even now. And what what he does is he does sushi mm -hmm. and he creates amazing experiences for other people and the world is better for him existing but i'm i'm not i wouldn't want to trade places with him no i think it is an incredible outlook to have not in a this is good to live mm -hmm. but it is just like an incredible way to live like mm. you know like how like awesome like the phrase like not how we use it, but like it is something that you're in awe about. Mm -hmm. Like that's how I kind of feel when I read that. And I am, I know you would be, are too, like very aware of cultural differences mm -hmm. between like here and in the US versus Japan. Mm -hmm. And it, it does seem for, for what little I do know that there is a vastly different approach to work. Yeah. And also he was born in 1925. Yes. So it, it is, he is carrying Thrown also... Thrown out of his home at the age of nine and told not to come back. Yeah. <laughs> and to just make it work. Right. You're on your, you're on your own in the world. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's, a different, it's a different culture and it's a different time. But it has produced this singular, this singular person. However, I don't know what you think about this, but like, this is not just circumstance. This man has a gift. He has talent that I just think there's no way like people like refer to it in the movie like he was just like born to make sushi. Mm -hmm. Like there must I just feel like given the same set of circumstances you would not repeat this with every person you put through his exact situation. Yeah well there's an interesting, an interesting part of the movie I like where 
Jiro's talking about the the chef that he looks up to. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember his name, but but the, it's in the it's in the context of what I do think is a, is a generally good point for everyone. Jiro's talking about oh, in order in order to make delicious food, you have to eat delicious food. That that you have to train yourself to be sensitive to things in food, mm-hmm. and that if you know if your customer has a better palate than you, it's not possible for you to to like them. That is definitely a broadly uh, like a broad piece of advice right like that that is a totally applicable piece of advice um and and very useful but there's also there's a there's like that is a thing that a person can do if if you want to write well read books that you think are written well that like that is applicable to everyone. Mm-hmm. But the thing that is interesting is that he then immediately transitions into talking about this other chef and how the reason he looks up to him is because the other chef has a much better olfactory sense and taste than he does. That the other guy is just much more sensitive mm-hmm. to differences in food than Jiro is. And so there's there's like this this. It is not just about practicing sushi. Jiro, I, like I would, I would love, you know, because I would love to see some kind of like do do a test on him about what tastes can he distinguish, right? Mm-hmm. Like how how many molecules of tuna can we put in this saline solution before he tastes it or whatever? Like, there's no way he's not more sensitive than that, like than an average person. And he acknowledges, like, oh, if he had been if he had if he had a better nose and a better tongue, he'd be a better sushi chef. Yep. But he's already almost certainly in like the top, top 0.001% of people in the world. Mm-hmm. And this is why I say like it, there's not necessarily something to be gained from looking at the very top performers in any field. Because they are a perfect alignment of everything that had to go right. Yep. And it just, it doesn't. It doesn't mean anything to draw a general lesson in that way. Whereas uh, my other favorite part about this film is like, you probably want to talk to Jiro's sons much more about how to become a good sushi chef than you would ever want to talk to Jiro directly. Because they had to become good sushi chefs. And the story of the sons is very interesting. He has two sons. And the youngest son operates his own restaurant which is in the kind of empire mm-hmm. it is a secondary jiro restaurant but only he operates there his name is takashi and a fantastic thing for this is that the interior is exactly the same as jiro's restaurant but reversed mm-hmm. because takashi is right-handed mm-hmm. and jiro is left-handed mm-hmm. i just think that's wonderful his restaurant is cheaper it is less nerve-wracking, yeah, but is a two-star Michelin restaurant. So his youngest son, very good at making sushi, mm-hmm. right? Like that is very good sushi still. Yeah. And then his oldest son, whose name is Yoshi, Yoshi, he works at his father's restaurant. And I was like, oh, "That's weird. The younger son must be better." But that's not the case because he is expected to take his father's position, which is like traditional and also is the higher accolade, even though he lives in the shadow of his dad constantly. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating part of the documentary every time 
because it it involves all of these these related things. Mm-hmm. It's sons picking up the work of their father. It is clearly a kind of cultural difference that's that's going on here, and and I, I, every time I watch it, my my heart sort of goes out to Yoshi, but then I, I have to remember like, but he's he's in like the socially higher position. Whereas I, I like, I look at the two of them and I think, oh, clearly I, I would want to beat Takashi. Like, mm-hmm. no question about it. Yeah. I want to be the guy with the two star. Which, like, who runs his own deal. Yeah, who runs his own deal. And I, I do I do love he, he, that, that explicit remark about the, the market where he's like, oh, I have to charge a lower price to satisfy my customers. It's like, yeah, that's how that works. Because he's not the guy. He's not the guy. You, you, don't, you don't have power law effects mm-hmm. about what is the price at mm-hmm. like the restaurant that everybody wants, wants to go to. But I do like... There is a part of me which, like, would love to have a one-on-one conversation with Yoshi. Be like, "Hey, what do, what do you really think?" Mm-hmm. And the 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 documentary interviewer asks him a question where they where they say, "Oh, are you jealous of Takashi starting his own restaurant?" And Yoshi's exact quote is, "In Japan, the eldest son succeeds his father. That is what is expected of me." Mm. End quote. Mm-hmm. Right. No. No further but, but answer. I have no idea what that, what that means. Right. Like, that could mean. I have the better position, or it could mean I hate my brother. Yeah. But whatever it is, right? Like, this is a situation where he had two sons. They were both good, and he wanted to give them a place. Like I was watching it with with Adina today and she said, she gave a quote which I like, you don't fight for the same pie slice, you just make a bigger pie. Mm. Which is what's going on here, right? Like, he can't have two successes, mm-hmm. so they opened a second restaurant mm-hmm. and that's where the younger son is. He, and he said, like we say, he has autonomy, I guess, to, to a degree, but he lives in the shadow even more because he's in a similar, he's in a restaurant that's exactly the same. He makes incredible sushi, but he can't charge as highly for it mm-hmm. because it's not his dad. Where at least Yoshi is in that environment and there's like a good reveal at the end of the movie, right? That every time, or at least the initial time that uh, Jiro's restaurant was Michelin Star reviewed, the sushi was made by Yoshi. Mm-hmm. So like, obviously, you know, there is no grading higher than three, right? So it's not like they they would come to Jiro and be like, oh, you get seven. Mm -hmm. But the idea is that like this, the rating which is given to say that this restaurant is probably the best sushi restaurant in the world was actually achieved by his son. Mm -hmm. And even at the end of the movie as well, like Jiro kind of says like, I have the easy job. Like it's everybody else now who's doing all the hard work. Right. And like he has obviously instituted the rules and regulations of the restaurant. So, mm-hmm. like, it is the reason it is that good is still because of him and what he wants. But he acknowledges that, like, the sushi's basically cooked by the time it gets to him. Mm-hmm. He's just like plating it at that mm-hmm. point, I guess. Right. And I'm sure he's to a level like reducing his role a bit there. Yeah. But he is at least, I think, giving a very fair point of like a lot of the work is in the preparation. Now, of course, right, like we see other instances in the movie where it's like one of the apprentice chefs is talking about the egg sushi that he made. Oh, God. 
And he said like he made it like 200 times before yeah. it was considered good enough. And then he cried. And then he cried. He you cr- would cry <laughs> though, wouldn't like, you? Yeah, and, 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 and it's like in that moment, like I'm watching the documentary and like, it's okay, man, mm-hmm. right? No, no one would chide you for that. Huh. <laughs> like, I nearly <laughs> cried hearing your story. I wasn't even there. But like, you know, that's, that's the thing of like, well, the master created this standard that everybody has to live by. Mm-hmm. And that guy would have served that egg sushi. I said, you have to work there 10 years before you're even allowed to touch the eggs. Mm-hmm. Right. And he would have served at least sushi attempt 100. But Jiro, it's not, it's not unacceptable for him. So he'll keep pushing and pushing and pushing. So like he, uh, he leads, right? That's what he does. Like He is like leading this restaurant, mm-hmm. even if he is not, making the sushi himself. Yeah. I learned a great word today. Shokunin. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of fun definitions of this online. I like this one. The Japanese word shokunin is often translated as artisan in English, although it is incorrect by definition. The translation seems to lose the spirit of what a shokunin does. Mm-hmm. Like, the actual way it's translated to us cannot capture what it means in Japan. Mm-hmm. And it is effectively like an individual who... Is the absolute best at one very specific thing. Mm-hmm. And that they are considered to be masters of their craft, but their craft is incredibly specific. Mm-hmm. So, like, for example, in the, an article that, I've, that I was reading that I will put into uh, our show notes about this, in a lot of Japanese craftspersonship, there is a term called urushi, which is the idea of layering individual layers of lacquer onto something. Mm-hmm. It's used in swords, pens. That's how I know it from pens. Right, like, of course. Urushi pens are like some of the most expensive and incredible objects that an individual can own. Um, and it is it was a trend which had nearly died out, but has now come back again. It's like, it, this is how apparently this has been throughout time, but it is now back again and is even being practiced by people in America now because it is considered to be so such an incredible technique but there are shokunin whose job is to apply the final layer now these are hundreds and hundreds of layers just painted on individually every single day until it builds to the thickness of a pen Mm -hmm. there are some people whose job is to apply the last one (sighs) right it's like that is you know i just it this is all so beautiful to me Mm -hmm. as a way of approaching this kind of stuff and i'm very happy to have learned this word today uh, and also the egg guy, the egg sushi guy, he said that like Jiro called him. He says, I remember the day that he called me a shokunin. Mm-hmm. And he was like, what did he say? Like, and he fist pumped the air or something? It's kind yeah. of beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. He, he said he wanted to fist pump the air, but he yep. was trying to keep it. Like, he was trying <laughs> so to keep it together. <laughs> like, yeah, no, no, no big deal. But I'm an, I'm an egg. I'm an egg master now. Yeah. It's the other part that, that goes to that, that, and why I like, and I think that I really like about the documentary is I'm endlessly fascinated in like logistic worlds, and the, the whole part of the documentary that relates to that is is like, oh, Jiro's talking about how you know he's the sushi master and he's working with these people in the kitchen and they're masters of what they're doing. But all, but all, the whole restaurant sits atop this pyramid of their suppliers, and there's a, there's a whole segment in the fish market where I just find it very interesting that they're they're clearly picking out 
particular suppliers to buy from. The fish market thing was amazing. Yeah, and and, and there's there's something about on camera, like you you can tell all of the suppliers are, are like they're not the normal dudes in the market like buying mm-hmm. hundreds of kilos of tuna. It's like like the tuna buyer is very picky, and he's like, I won't buy any tuna if I don't see one that I like. It's like I if I can't have my first choice, I won't buy any. Right. Yeah. Because they go to auctions, right? Yes. And then the the so like there's an auction yeah. every morning the fish is bought it is then taken to the fish market where it is then sold to the restaurants yeah and so like there are these levels of like shogunin yeah. basically because like the great thing is like every single supplier is referenced as like this person knows more about rice than I could ever know or like this is the best person who knows the most about rice that we could ever possibly find right yeah. like I trust this person completely when it comes to my rice yeah and it's like that for every single one of these people well that's the thing that I noticed that they that they explicitly call out is they only buy from suppliers who only sell one thing mm-hmm so it's like the shrimp guy only deals with shrimp and we only want to buy shrimp from a guy who only manages shrimp Mm-hmm. Did you find the octopus part uncomfortable? I always do. I hate it. Why do they have to show me? I didn't want to know the octopus was alive, and I don't want to see it clinging to the guy's arm. Like I just don't want to see that. It is. It is always uncomfortable. Yes. <laughs> you know. You know. Yeah. But it's it's to be expected. You know, it's coming. You're not going to get through a sushi documentary without an octopus clinging for life, thinking and when it's the shrimp jumps out thoughts. of the pot. It's like, oh god, this is so bad. Ah, whatever, shrimp. Who cares? Octopodes, though, it's very, it's very uncomfortable. Weird land in the sand to draw, but like, um, but but it's, and there's something about that logistic chain that I, I just find very fascinating. Like everything, everything is a world unto itself, mm-hmm. and and this like there are experiences in life where sometimes you get to see those logistic chains either in person or in a documentary or something, and and like I've o- I always really enjoy those, and this whole thing about the fish market is really interesting. And I do think it, it's, it's again, like the lessons about making sushi are not to be drawn from Jiro in the documentary. Mm-mm. The lessons are everything around him. And, and this is one of those, those things of, oh, acknowledge that the people that you're working with should be much better at the parts they're supplying to you than you could ever do mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's just very clear in that segment. And, and you know, it's like under... <sighs> So, like, I've seen some documentaries about wine, and I generally think that that world is a fraud for the most part, right? <laughs> like, I just, I'm just going to say it. Like, but so what I think about watching this fish market is this guy who's the tuna dealer is going around and like touching the tuna and smelling it a little bit and looking at it with his flashlight and making these like very quick, quick decisions about it, mm-hmm. and. He's like, oh, I know how the, I know which tuna are going to taste good. And it's like, I can believe you because you just deal with like tuna in this market. It's the only thing that you deal with. And like, I could imagine that you're actually building up a skill that they that they bring this. I always forget how big tuna are as well. well like, I was going to say that. This I feel enormous like I no idea. tuna. Right? They're like whales. Yeah. You touch the tail and you're like, oh, this one's no good. Right, and you touch the tail of the other one. You're like, "That's the tuna I want. That tuna or nothing." That's my tuna. Yeah, and he even he even makes this remark about like, "Oh, there's all these these all these tuna here." He's like, "But there's not that many tuna here." Right? Like, but I think it's also in his head because he's like, "There's only two tuna here that I would buy." Yeah. Right. Um, it's like I can believe that a skill is 
is being cultivated there in an environment like whereas in other environments I can think I'm not I'm not confident in this in this skill mm-hmm. but I was like I just love that logistic chain stuff of it and it's it's fascinating every time the whole world around him and I love I love the, how the rice dealer is like LOLing that other people want to buy the rice I want to buy the rice <laughs> yeah. they don't know how to cook the rice yeah they can't cook your rice only you can cook your rice and yeah, they're both like ha 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 stupid higher <laughs> yeah, it's it's great I'm like I, only, I I sell you the expert rice and I don't sell other people the expert rice and they show how they cook the rice and it's like yeah you know what that does look really difficult <laughs> <laughs> like I don't think you could just put that in a rice cooker and get the result that you're looking for yeah, it's like a million PSI to cook that, that rice I do like that like even then they're talking about like how difficult it is to cook the rice and they're like oh we just put a pot on it right i was expecting like a pressure cooker at least or something i don't know what i was expecting but there was like it it still was like the methods tried and true and Mm -hmm. they they seem peculiar i guess and they're using like implements and strange you know like it's like oh you would expect if you wanted consistency every time maybe there's a machine to use Mm -hmm. but this is the difference where it's just like no we know how to do it and we do it right every time. Yeah, and, and it's a preciseness in the simplicity mm-hmm. that, again, I can believe mm-hmm. from having had some experiences in in nice restaurants. And uh, to go back to the octopus, there's one part that sort of makes me laugh every time when when Cheryl's like, "Oh, we're always trying to improve," and he says, "You know, we we massage the octopus for thirty minutes before <laughs> we cook it," and he's like, "And we've really we've really been refining the process." And now we massage it for 40 minutes, right? And, and like- not too long after that, <laughs> not too long after that, he was talking about how, like, he doesn't do it, and, like, this stuff anymore. And, mm-hmm. and, and like, and he's talking about, I changed my methods. I was like, yeah, you changed from 30 minutes to 40 minutes when you hired an apprentice. <laughs> now it's a 40-minute process because you're not doing it anymore, Jiro. I see how you work. <laughs> this episode of Cortex is brought to you by Audible. Audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment, including Audible Originals. Audible Originals are stories created exclusively for audio, including documentaries, exclusive audiobooks, and scripted shows that you won't hear anywhere else. You can listen at the gym, while shopping, in the car, while traveling. Anytime that you can't actually be reading, maybe your eyes or hands need to be occupied in other ways, You can just listen with Audible. And as an Audible member, you'll get three titles every month. That is one audiobook plus two Audible originals from a fresh selection. And you get access to exclusive guided fitness and meditation programs as well. Now, I have spoken many times about the fact that I am an audiobook person. I just cannot focus on books when I'm trying to read them in any other way. Audiobooks is the way to go for me always because I can be playing video games if I want to. I can be traveling. Whenever I might be doing something else, I can be listening to audio. And I want to recommend one of my favorite audiobooks of all time. I think I've listened to it like four or five times. It is called Icon, and it's a book about Steve Jobs that was released in 2006. So it focuses on a very specific time of Steve's life and it goes from his early beginnings in Apple all the way up to basically when he's returned to Apple and he's releasing the iPods and stuff like that. So it focuses on Pixar a lot. It focuses on Next a lot as well. It is my personal favorite book about Steve Jobs' life and it only tells just a slice of it. It's a really, really fantastic book. It is uh, written by Jeffrey S. Young and William L. Simon, narrated by Alan Sklar, and it's a great narration as well. I really, really love this book and it tells in depth a story of Steve's life which maybe isn't focused on in the same way in some of the other books that have happened, especially over the last couple of years. 
Audible members can easily exchange any title that they don't love, and you can keep everything that you download forever, even if you cancel your subscription. So, start listening with a 30-day Audible trial, choose one audiobook and two Audible originals absolutely free by going to audible.com slash cortex or texting cortex to 500-500. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash cortex or text cortex to 500-500 to get one audiobook and two Audible originals absolutely free. Thanks to Audible for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. I do like that where it's like, you know, we, we have evolved our processes. Like I was expecting something more than just an extra 10 minutes. Like when he was talking, yeah. it's like, oh, we have a different kind of, we discovered if if you marinate in ginger for 20 minutes before the massaging, it produces better. It's like, no, we just do it longer. Yeah. Like, but just a little okay. longer, not a lot longer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's the simplicity of the process to produce simple results, but that result in something that is is very high quality is it's also just a pleasing thing to watch as a viewer of the documentary which is why i've been able to watch it so many times Mm -hmm. it's just like there is a satisfaction in seeing someone do a job well and there's almost almost an increased satisfaction when the job itself seems simple Mm -hmm. like the like the way the sushi chefs with their hands press the rice into this little shape to fit exactly into your mouth I, f- I feel like someone could put that on a loop on YouTube and I would just watch it all day. It's so beautiful the way they do it too. Like there's just like this method of like using the two fingers into mm-hmm. the cup of the hand and spinning it around and doing it again. And it's almost like, what do they say? It's like holding a baby chick or something. Yeah. Like yeah. you would have to put a little bit of pressure on it so it doesn't get away. <laughs> yeah. but And it's also the thing of, of you look at that and, and simplicity can fool you. Mm-hmm. This is the part of it was like, oh, it doesn't look that hard. If someone then handed me a bunch of rice and said, make one of these things. It's like, well, 10 years later, maybe I could get it right. And then I would cry. You can't make the rice. (laughs) Yeah. You're like the Hyatt. Oh, I just, before I forget, like, again, thinking about, there's not something to be learned from the top people, but there can be things to be learned from the next tier. Is like the clearest statement that Yoshi makes in the movie about the process of becoming a sushi chef is he says, it's about making an effort and repeating the same thing every day. Yes. And it's like, that is a key lesson to take away. Whereas Jiro's lesson is dream beautiful dreams about sushi. I wake up dreaming of sushi and right. I create new sushi recipes. Right, which is which is very, like, it's not very actionable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, oh, okay. That's, that's, a, that's, a hard, that's a hard thing to say. I'll try some lucid dreaming, I suppose. Yes, exactly. Find my way yeah. to the sushi kitchen. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to try to create that trigger for myself and check if the clock is real. I'm like, oh, is it, is, am I lucid dreaming now? <laughs> I think that is, that is great. Of course, it also particularly spoke to me during the year of order. I'm like, do the same thing every day. Make an effort and do the same thing every day. Mm-hmm. And as they're using that little coal thing outside of the restaurant. <laughs> right. <laughs> that, that, is also, that is also an enjoyable part of the documentary is so many things you, you view it and it's like, wait, what is that? Like, what, like, <laughs> what, what, is, what is he doing? He's, he's standing in the, in the subway path with a little coal mm-hmm. oven. Uh, it's, I don't know. Did you see, did you know? Like it, it seemed strange to me at the time uh, when they had that like it looked like just like a handful of straw that they were burning. Do you remember that scene? Yeah, and they, and they pass a fish through it for two seconds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In 2013, there was a fire at the restaurant uh, because of that straw using straw to smoke bonito, and that the straw ignited 
uh, and the fire took an hour to extinguish, but there were no injuries. Hmm. I saw that on Wikipedia today, and I, was, I just it was funny to read that straight after. I was like, <laughs> I did think that that looked very peculiar and slightly dangerous at the time. The kitchen is not large, mm-hmm. as you would expect from a restaurant that is in a subway station. And wasn't it nice to see how they would eat? Right, like I just found that kind of nice. Like they would cook all the sushi. I mean, they were eating the sushi that was being cooked by the trainee sushi. He wasn't a trainee, but he was uh, one of the. I think it was the guy with the egg sushi was like learning, how yeah. to make, and and is being kind of like graded by Yoshi. Mm-hmm. But that was the sushi that they all then ate together. But I think it was like you know they will cook there and and and, and eat great food. And it was kind of when Jiro was saying that what you said earlier about like if you want to be a great chef. Mm-hmm. You have to eat great food. Mm-hmm. It is it is interesting because the the other thing I think about every time I watch this documentary is you know so 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 these apprentices are are coming in and they're they're trying to learn this skill and it makes me think about different areas of life in which you compete and like if you're trying to be the top sushi chef in the world by definition almost everyone who ever attempts to do that will totally fail mm-hmm. and. I don't know. Like I, it's it's when I when I think about advice for people thinking about careers, I think that there's kind of there's something in this in this movie of be aware of fields where that is the case, where there's there's one winner and everybody else fails, and and it's why it's why I love Takashi. Where he's like, oh, I have I have another restaurant, and he's he's not he's in like the Jiro Empire. But he's not trying to be Jiro, and it's like it's such a it's such a high bar. And, and I think the the most crushing quote comes from the this guy who was a former apprentice of Jiro, and he's talking about Yoshi. He says like, "Well, the restaurant is going to change hands someday." You know, still still hasn't as of time of recording, but mm-hmm. like someday Yoshi is going to take over, and he says. If Yoshi makes sushi at the same level as Jiro, it will be regarded as inferior. Only if he's twice as good will it be seen as the same. Mm-hmm. I think that that quote is so crushing because I also think there's just it's true. Like there's so much yep. there's so much truth in there, which, which is why like my heart always goes out to Yoshi in this documentary, even though there is this twist reveal at the end that he made the food yeah. that initially got them the Michelin star. It's not what people want. Yeah, it's and that that quote is true. And whenever the handover happens, like I just I just look at Yoshi mm-hmm. as being in this in this difficult situation. And there's some quotes earlier in the movie about how he he you know he really didn't like working in the sushi restaurant in the beginning, but it's like, this is what's going to happen. You're the eldest son. You're working in the kitchen. Yeah. There's no choice. Yeah. Yeah, This is what you do. This is what's going to happen. And, you know, it's like that poor guy is the one who has to go to the fish market as well. It's like Jiro used to go to the fish market, but he had a heart attack. And so now Yoshi goes to the fish market. And And I'm looking at a guy who's, in the documentary, he's already 50 and he's getting up in the early morning to go to this. And it's, it's like my heart totally goes out to him. And I, and I just think about being in the situation where like success is toppling the best. Mm-hmm. And that is not a situation you really want to put yourself in if you don't absolutely have to. 
you want you want to create your own little empire and do your own thing. I don't know. So I almost I I watched the documentary much more engaged and involved with Yoshi and Takashi much more than I do Jiro because he he's like this ethereal sushi monk who's come down from the heavens mm-hmm. to bless us with the platonic ideal of sushi. And in a way, to taste something so perfect like creates havoc around him. <laughs> I also feel like at certain points in the movie, like they actually do, like they, it's tricking you. Like the the, the movie is, it's actually kind of about Yoshi, mm-hmm. really. Yeah. Like for big chunks of it, kind of like setting Jiro up as this individual who has to be succeeded, mm-hmm. and how is that going to happen? Right. And they try and show him like. They try and show Yoshi and talk about his philosophy and he's a smart guy and he cares about the conservation efforts, right? Like he cares about there being too much overfishing, basically, mm. and it's ruining the industry. And that's when he throws shade at the conveyor belt sushi, right? Um, and he like he references this, like how sushi came to New York and how the California roll was created in like 1983 or whatever, right? right? Like it's always, it's like I enjoyed that part of life. It made me smile. But it is interesting to see that and as you say, like not feel for the guy mm. who has an impossible task ahead of him, because it's like the funny thing is like he can't make six Michelin star sushi. It yeah, it doesn't exist. So what's he gonna do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't write it down, but someone else has a quote, and it is a, a thing I think about sometimes when you see the children are very successful people. But he, there's a quote somewhere in the movie where it says like, "Oh, sometimes the father is is too successful for the for the son," and it's like, yeah, that's a tough that's a tough place to be in, of of like having having that mountain in your life, mm-hmm. and and the thing that that I I do think makes it harder is that sushi is ultimately subjective, mm. that. There, there isn't. We're not running the hundred meter dash here, and his father yeah. is the fastest. And there's at least a number where he could objectively prove to the world, "Oh, I am better." Mm-hmm. That that's why that quote is is like so gut wrenching, because if if we did have some objective measure of sushi, uh, yeah, it's that's just not the way people are going to taste it. And even in the grading, which he succeeded, it's his grading. Mm-hmm. No one thinks of him. Right. It's not his restaurant. It's, it's not Yoshi dreams restaurant. of sushi. Yeah. yeah, Yoshi doesn't dream of sushi. That's the problem. Yoshi goes to fish market is a <laughs> a less exciting title for a movie. I hope to God they make a sequel called Yoshi Goes to Fish Market. I feel like there will be a sequel to this movie someday. There has to. I, I never thought about it, but there has to be when Yoshi takes over. And what inevitably happens? <sighs> it doesn't seem like it's going to be anytime soon, though. Oh, Jiro, going strong, 93 years old. Yeah. Episode out of time, though. <laughs> so let's hope that we haven't just jinxed that, I guess. Yeah. No, we haven't jinxed it, Mike. Okay, good. There's a wood table in front of us. We can knock it. <laughs>